0: Welcome to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast.
1: Welcome to episode 66. I'm Rocco. And with me co-hosting this week are Ryan, Zeb, and Michael. And we have a special guest this week. Her name is Crystal Dotshaw. Crystal, how are you?
0: I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me on the show.
1: So you're a privacy and digital rights advocate. Yep. You also happen to be the VP of open source and digital advocacy at PIA, which is Private Internet Access. Yep. And you're a firm believer in software freedom. Absolutely. So let me ask you, (laughs) before we get started into talking PIA, we'd love to learn more about you specifically. Okay. So you were a host of a podcast at one time?
0: Yes, very briefly. It was called um, Free As In Node, and it was the Free Node podcast.
1: Very nice. Yeah. So how did you get involved in the open source community?
0: Purely by accident. (laughs) 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 So the year was 1994. It's quite a long time ago now. I was given seven floppy disks. They contained Slackware Linux, and here we are.
1: Nice. Wow.
2: You know, this disk passing around thing is what really spread Linux. Every guest we have that's had history of Linux talks about yeah. this. It, and it's a bit, it was effective.
0: And I think now, being a bit older and, and and sort of looking at the world, I'm thinking, you know, that's how people get hooked on drugs.
3: <laughs> this is
2: true.
3: <laughs> the, yeah. first free. the first yeah. is free. And everyone <laughs> else, <Yeah>. every time.
0: <laughs> the first free. Yeah, yeah, that didn't really work.
3: Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, no, I've uh, used Linux ever since, contributed to a few open source projects. Um, I was a Gen2 developer for a while when I had more time and could compile. Really? Nice. Um, yeah, I had a bit of a strange. Subs- I, I would buy old Spark stations and Sunblades and install Gentoo 2 on them. That, that was basically my hobby. Wow,
1: wow. that's something I, that I've never tackled as Gen2.
0: Isn't that really sad? That's a bit of a sad existence, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Rocko, wow.
0: you? I never left
3: the house. <laughs> 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 thought, there was a of mis- miscommunication there. Rocco, you <laughs> have a sad existence. You haven't done Gentoo yet. I'm telling
2: you. No, here, here's what happened. So, Rocco, this weekend, I this week, I tried to install Gentoo. No, in a virtual box, and, and uh, it, it, it was a ho- it was a horrible failure. <laughs> it just it just everything <laughs> every time they would you know the manual's all written out and it's like put in this command. Put in this next command, and every time I would put in the command they tell me to, like it would give me some weird error that nobody else gets but me. So yeah, I I don't know.
3: The I successfully installed Gentoo about seven years ago, and just so I could tell you that I have successfully installed Gentoo. That's (laughs) some
2: bragging rights to get a shirt. That's about (laughs) it. I survived Gentoo. Wow.
0: Yeah. No. No. For uh, for all the compiling and all the all the jesting, they're actually it's it's a good community. It was fun. Yeah. They were a nice nice group to be enrolled with.
3: Um I'm curious about the Freenode podcast and like uh, what what all the topics would you cover on the podcast? Because it seems like there wouldn't you would you would assume there wouldn't be that much, like maybe like different new channels coming or something?
0: No. So we our focus was not on IRC itself, it was on the community on Freenodes. It was like new projects. Mm-hmm. So we would do the whole sort of if there was some fancy new software, we'd install it, we'll trial it, we'll talk about it, we'll re- review review it. it. Would usually be Quite bad reviews because i would usually have <laughs> half a bottle of wine before we before we would record because i was so nervous in those days um my co-hosts were both very opinionated people and just spoke a lot
3: i um, i know what you're talking about <laughs> yeah. i don't I'm, what was that I'm, to- then, I'm totally out of the loop on this one
0: <laughs> and then each time we would invite so we did a section that was called pimp your project so we would well, invite someone from a, from a project that had an IST presence on Freenode to come and sort of talk about what they did. So, yeah, nice. it, it was sort of cool. Um, it was fun, but yeah, it, it wasn't really...
1: And, and who was all involved recording. with you? Mm-hmm.
0: So um, it was co-hosted by myself, a guy called Salior, or Darren, if you wish, and Bryn S. So They're nice. both Welsh, and they didn't like it when I spoke about sheep.
4: excellent so it's obvious from all of this that you are a linux user um so what distro do you run and do you hop
0: so it's funny you should say that because when i when i looked at your website i found that one of you is the self self self-proclaimed founder of distro hoppers anonymous that would be (laughs) But yes, no, um, I primarily run Debian. um, Mm -hmm. And I have primarily run Debian for probably, well, for a very long time, for many, 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 many years, well over a decade. Actually, it's probably closer to two decades by now. Um, But I'm also really fickle. So I like to dabble. So I'll install something new or something different. And uh, I sort of find myself always going back to Debian. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I think if I was in a poly relationship with a distribution or distributions, it, it would be a sort of our relationship is not exclusive, but Debian is totally my primary. <laughs> I'll probably offend everyone by making such comments.
3: Nice. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, Debian's a good one to be to be based on anyway. So yes, it, should, it shouldn't should be annoying too many people. But just, I want to go back to the the the, the parts you, we were talking about. Like you do you know your advocacy and software for freedom and, and digital rights wow. and privacy, stuff like that. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about what, what you're doing in that?
0: Gosh. Um, so, obviously, I still manage Freenade. Um, we we're still around and alive, even though Slack is doing its best to kill off all of IRC. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I've been, gosh, I've been a Free Software Foundation member since 2006. Wow. And, yeah, yeah, nice. it's been a while. And every year, I think it's the year of the Linux desktop. So I serve on the no advisory yes. board.
3: <laughs> I agree.
0: Yeah. And I sit on the advisory council to the Internet Society. And of course, at PIA, I manage our open source efforts internally and externally. And I lead the work we do to support FOSS projects and also human, human um, rights organizations. Very nice. And we, yeah.
1: And you're so we, all over the place.
0: Yes, yes. I actually realized the other day, So I'm in Toronto at the moment at the Creative Commons Global Summit, which is super exciting. I love them because they sort of, I first became familiar with them when they were brand new. And it was sort of a through free software because loads of free software people got into the commons. And um, so it's super exciting to, to get to spend some time with them as well. Nice. That'd be cool. Yeah. Since February, I've been at home in the UK for eight days. It's been a bit
4: hectic. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah
3: very adventurous
4: yeah yeah so i've I've only just actually thought of this while while you were talking about it Uh, part of having that software freedom is people get to see the source code and people get to know exactly what you're doing and how it works so you were recently part of um a hackathon at the ucla yes so can you tell us about that event and what kind of work you was involved in there
0: Yes so um LA Hacks is one of one of a few hackathons that we tend to support and go along with, go along to. So this year we delivered a privacy workshop. Um and we put up a cash prize for the best privacy related hack. So we had a fair few submissions. Um some were good, some were not so good, some were really good. Um <laughs> it was it was super exciting because it's sort of for me now at my age and having been around so long I find hackathons are awesome because I get to meet the people who are going to take over from us. Mm-hmm. All the people with the the bright new ideas, the sort of the passion and the enthusiasm that I had 20 years ago. Um yep. So the hack that actually won our prize was a project called Breach Tracker. So they created a Chrome extension that allows you to find information about data breaches for the websites you visit. So you go to a website and it will tell you whether there's been a breach, when that breach took place, or the date of the last incident. And if there's been, been more than one, it will also give you information about previous ones. The type of data affected, the number of users affected. So yeah, it was pretty cool. And I'm sort of waiting excitedly to, to have them finish the work and actually release it out into the world so that people can start using
3: it. Yeah, I definitely want to try that out, especially if they make a Firefox version.
4: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. and Excuse me, but I didn't actually realize that at hackathons, people would actually come up with solutions to tell you if you'd been hacked. I thought they were just there to try and take apart code that someone and, has built yeah, as yeah. secure.
0: No, so it's quite interesting. So some of the other submissions we had were things like um, apps to try make it make it more secure to transmit and share medical information between hospitals and between your gp i don't what do you call that in the U, in the u.s family doctor maybe yeah
3: gp your or your,
0: yeah and sort of um so they were looking at some some quite clever apps that would allow you to make make appointments it would transfer your medical notes your surgery notes your radiology images so that so yeah people try to sort of find real solutions to to some cool things
3: marvelous yeah, yeah. Hackathon is also used as a term for just like a general work get together type things yeah so like you know hacker spaces are just spaces people would go to together work on stuff but it has nothing to really do with hacking it's just the general term of like uh. you know, the hacking concept of mm. you know like the, the the long-standing version of hacking versus the uh mainstream term
0: yes more the creation and building right and yeah yeah
3: so some of us are going to
2: be. I'm one of the newer ones in this podcast to Linux, um, and I'll be attending my first conference. And Michael may be attending with me. And it's the Southeast Linux Fest. Yeah. I know you were recently at Libra Planet. You've been to a lot of these fests. I think Neil McGovern was also there at Libra Planet. Yeah. Uh, as well. So I was hoping you could kind of uh, give me an idea of what are some things that are kind of covered at these events that we could expect
0: well it it depends i mean um one of the nice things about free and open source software events and conferences is that they're all different um while you'll get a lot of people who are sort of super hot keynotes at the moment and will often cover you know 10 events in a year you get a very different audience each and every time and that always changes the dynamics and the atmosphere and um for me, it's super exciting to go and learn about new projects, to catch up with with projects I've known about for years, um, to get a sort of primer on you know movements in in terms of licensing and things like that, and of course catch up with with fellow community members. Many of many of them I now consider to be friends. Neil, who you just mentioned, is someone I've known for for years and years and years. When I first moved to the UK from Norway back in two thousand and one. The Debian UK community were sort of there, mm-hmm. taking me under their wing and being my nice. my my Insta <laughs> friends, as it were. And Neil MacGowan was very much one of those people.
1: Well, yeah. he was a he was a great guest the other week when we talked to him. Stand up yeah. guy,
0: brilliant. Yeah, he's good.
1: So, what what is the atmosphere at these Linux conferences? Because we hear about them all the time. I've never actually been to one, even though I've been in Linux for a while. But yeah. what is it like? An electric atmosphere? What what is it?
0: I mean, they differ. Some some will be more serious than others. I generally find it to be fun-friendly and educational.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but I, th- I guess being a woman in open source, I'm also acutely aware that I've been fo- incredibly fortunate not to have had a bad conference experience, particularly in recent years with some bad press. But I think Um, conference organizers at the moment are sort of putting a lot of effort into codes of conduct ensuring that everyone is welcome we've got massive uh, diversity efforts going on everywhere there's more focus on getting a wider range of speakers there's more more focus on helping you know helping with financial sponsorship to fly in speakers from the global south or yeah things like that so it's um it's always interesting and it's always different and you you will always meet Really, really interesting people. Although One of the things I always try to do when I go to an event is to make sure that I go and speak to that person who stood in the corner on their own and not speaking to anyone else, because I remember being that shy geek a long, long time ago.
3: Yeah, I was. Yeah. I was one of those the first time I went to a conference. I think yeah. she just described
2: yeah. what I'm going to be doing at the event. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so so, so I just, I'm, I'm curious about that. The uh, the atmosphere we're talking about. Like you've been to a lot of conferences and I'm just curious, like what's your kind of favorite style? Is it like the Linux Fest where it's more like uh, interactive with everybody or in like the bigger cons or like scale or stuff like that?
0: So scale is probably one of my absolute favorite events ever, but it has grown a lot since the first time I went to scale was 2005, 2006. So quite a while ago. Nice. Yeah. Um, although it's getting big, it's still a nice place to go because you still get a lot of the same people and the atmosphere is is very similar and they've kept many of the sort of social events and and evening events that they used to always run going even with a much larger audience. And that's always fun with things like scale. They do game night, they do a pub trip.
3: So it's like a, are you saying, so it's kind of like scale is more like the, the bigger commercial style conference, but in a Linux fest feel.
0: Yes, yes. Yeah, that's a good way to sort of put it. And then, of course, over in Europe, things like FOSTEM is one of my favorite conferences because it it brings together so many people and it's always a great place to be, especially to catch up with the GNOME community, which sends like yeah. a billion people there every year. Okay, not <laughs> quite a billion people, but but that's also... <laughs> FOSTEM has no, now become so large that I find that every year I need to sort of add an extra day to, be, to have a chance to catch up with everyone I want to see. Nice. But yeah.
2: So getting on to some of the things going on in PIA, Andrew Lee, the PIA founder, he's been known for talking about the importance (laughs) of fighting for internet freedom. He has a quote here that I want to read. Let's continue to fight the good fight. Freedom is an earned right and we must continue to re-earn it every day. As the world continues to fight, private internet access will be there. In crypto, we trust. I love that. Uh, yeah. Um, so, can you can you tell us how some of the ways that Pia is kind of leading this charge here? And you know, obviously, there's a lot going on with changes in governments and maybe where people should be concerned.
0: Yes. So we um, we are obviously extremely committed to privacy and to fight and to fighting um, censorship. So we work hard to try and ensure that we support organizations who work to fight fight for our internet freedoms, both financially and practically. So we have a we have a few partnerships with a variety of organizations. Um, we recently started working with Great Fire over in China to sort of work with them on the, their circumvention central efforts inside of the Great Firewall, and we are about to launch a tech task force type thing with another large human rights organization. Um, but we also we also try to fight laws through education, such as educational messaging in um, large media. You might have heard mm-hmm. we've had some fairly large New York Times ads out. Yep. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, of course, continued software development to make sure that we create new, stronger, and more resilient technologies using cryptography. And I guess I'm probably not the only person at PIA who considers their role to be... Financially sustainable activism rather than a job.
2: Nice.
0: And I think many of us are actively involved in internet freedom communities also outside of working hours. And um, yeah, but as far as sort of current challenges, I guess we've sort of lost net neutrality. That's a bit scary. And I guess the latest one is that the US government has recently decided to pass the highly controversial Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act. Which, um, which is a difficult one for most organizations to stand up against, I think, because it's sort of, that's obviously a good thing, fighting sex trafficking. Right. right. But if you sort of look into the bill itself, it's um, quite clear that it's going to lead to the to erosion the of, of our digital liberties and sort of be a bad move in terms of freedom of speech online. And it, frankly, it's a direct attack on, an, on anonymity.
3: Yeah. it's it's very similar to the way they do the like the internet freedom act that was proposed that makes it sound good but it's really underlying it's got a lot yeah. of problems with it
0: yeah so i think it's sort of we're at a scary a scary point where probably people need to um people need to be we need to help people find access the education They need to sort of empower them to speak up to try and take back control i think
1: well you're yeah. definitely involved in the uh, privacy and advocacy things. So is that what attracted you to private internet access? That you, their values align with your own? or
0: If you had asked me about whether I would ever consider coming to work for a VPN company, say, five years yeah. ago, I would have laughed at you. Um, <laughs> but then um, then Android PIA actually reached out in terms of Freenode quite a few years ago and said, hey, you know, we love what you do. We use the network. I'm a free software contributor. I've used Freenode for years and years and years. I want to help help you guys sort of do more more stuff and better stuff. And um, we had a sort of low-level sponsorship partnership for a few years that grew, and we sort of realized that we were really, really aligned on several levels. So so I actually found myself changing my mind completely and deciding that actually these guys do good work and I want to be involved. So when the opportunity arose, I uh, was quite quick to say yes.
3: <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's understandable. So what happened with the, instead of like... Uh, Pia was doing a lot of is doing a lot of activism, but the FreeNode thing, like you mentioned, that they wanted to come in and work with FreeNode. Where, yeah. What how did it go from working with FreeNode to just purchasing and funding everything? Of so Freenode?
0: so yes, so the way it works now, so um, uh, the parent company of PIA provides us with an annual financial sponsorship now. So Freenode operates exactly in the same way as before, but that sponsorship has allowed us to do things like start arranging our Freenode Live conference. So we had our first last year, and we have another coming up um, early November this year. Can I plug that? Sure, do it. Because our call to papers is totally open. So come and speak. It's Bristol, UK, and we're at at this awesome science museum. But yes, Freenode.com and find our CFP and submit talks. We love to have people come speak. Um, So yeah, that sort of has helped us do some more interesting things like that, which is something we've wanted to do for a long, long time. We've also got a few other sort of things we're working on, which we're launching in the next couple of months. So that's quite cool. But yeah, Freenode continues to operate as a nonprofit organization. organization nice. and it continues to sort of just be there to support FOSS communities. But it's it's super cool to actually have someone say, instead of saying, have some servers, which is also really, really important for us, because obviously yeah. that's what keeps our network together. Having someone say, hey, here, have some money, go and do some other cool stuff.
3: Yeah, that was, I mean, when they first announced they, they bought it, I was like, wow, like Freenode is already amazing. And now they have like this complete backing and it's like, yeah, fantastic.
0: Yeah, it's it's been really cool. And it's been really nice to have the support um, of them and, and also the sort of wider PIA network for things like getting speakers or, or even just getting advice, whether it's simple legal advice now that we're sort of the GDPR thing is coming into effect. All mm-hmm. those sort of little things that as a nonprofit organization was, unachievable an before and something we would have had to sort of just, yeah, take a gamble on, which is quite scary when you're taking a gamble on the personal data of about 400,000 people.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. well and speaking of taking a gamble on the personal data. So Facebook has been in the news mm. uh, pretty, uh, with some very invasive practices lately. And yeah. a lot of people are kind of shrugging their shoulders and just continuing to use the service regardless. Do you see a point in which the masses will finally get, you know, fed up with the privacy issues, and you know, kind of like revolt, sort of?
0: I hope that there that there's going to be a point where that's going to happen. I'm hoping that people will start to listen and start to think. But I guess I'm also aware that times have changed and that young young people in particular now don't necessarily find it all that concerning to share their information and maybe even overshare at times. And when I speak Mm -hmm. to people who are much younger than me, I find that they are much quicker to accept that when they have chosen to put something on the internet, it's okay for everyone else to just take it and do what they want with it. And that I think is a challenge and a bit scary um, because for someone who sort of, you know, my childhood was in the analog era as it was. Mm -hmm. um, My parents could send a letter and you know, they wouldn't have to sign it. It would go where it it needed to go. (laughs) No one would open it and read the contents. Um, it's sort of a bit different. And I guess also the whole sort of, I can appreciate the sharing thing as someone who's super committed to free culture because sharing is extremely important and also extremely empowering. And while I believe that we should freely share knowledge and code and music and art and sort of, I don't know, embrace permissive licensing, I think we also need to have the right to choose not to share and have agency Mm -hmm. to decide who with and what we actually do share. So yeah, I'm hoping that people will start to think and start to realize that some of what we give away online are perhaps things we wouldn't give away in person. Yeah.
2: Some of the revelations that have come out during this Facebook trial to me were just completely shocking. Like mm-hmm. I, I knew Facebook was bad, but I didn't even realize. And we don't even know the half of it. The reality is they're they, because they're closed source, we, they yeah. could be doing many other things that we have no clue about. But the things that we do know about now yeah. They are, you know, they, they are very just uh, alarming and the fact that they're just tracking everywhere you go, even when you don't have Facebook open, even when you don't have the app open on your phone, it's still logging information and things that you're doing. And it just makes me think what has to happen where people go. Okay, that's enough. My privacy has been invaded. What what is it that you think needs to happen before these people do wake up? Is it some massive thing where people lose money and money's the only thing that gets people to wake up? Or what do you think it would be?
0: I um I mean hopefully the current situation is is going to serve as a bit of a wake up call for people. But I think in general, I think there needs to be further education. I think education is super important. People need to be able to amass the knowledge they need to make informed decisions about what they share who with and, and the control they give away because we give away so much of our personal information, so much of our data, you know, so much about just simple stuff like what, you know, it, it might seem harmless to, to sort of give away what music you like and what movies you like and where you want to eat. And But when you start putting all of this data together, then it's quite scary how much information people can actually hold on you. Yep. Yes, I'm sort of hoping that the sort of current situation is, is part of a shift where people are going to start waking up and, and thinking a bit more.
2: I think so, what's kind of interesting, too, is that the, you know, in, in the U.S. especially, I don't know if it's in other countries, but there's this politeness factor that people sometimes try to to keep up. Like when they're in stores, for instance, and you go to check out and they'll be like, can I have your phone number? And I have this information and you can literally just say no and they move on. They know how to handle it. There's no awkwardness yeah. or nothing, but most people just give it out because they don't want that. They don't want to challenge the question of why do you need this info? Yeah. So, you know,
0: it's, it's interesting. You should say that. So I actually took my, um, I have a son He recently turned eight. So I took him out bowling for his birthday because that's what he wanted to do. And they, they asked for my phone number and my um, zip code basically as part of their if, if we're going to let you vote, we need this. And I'm like, why? I'll be in that lane. Do you know to you can call me? <laughs> <laughs> Send me a postcard? Um, and we had this sort of lengthy chat and they got quite frustrated because they obviously didn't know how to defend that, that question and, and what to ask. And in the in the end, she basically went, it's for fire safety reasons. So that if we need to evacuate the building, we know where to take your children. And I thought if this building burns down and I get separated by my, from my kids and I sort of die in a fire, it's going to be of absolutely no use to you to have my address to take my children there. They're right. eight and four; they're not going to survive on their own.
2: <laughs> we're going to take your like, children to the house. Uh, yeah. don't, <laughs> just leave, <laughs> them leave them there.
0: Off. Yeah, and I'm like, this, this seriously, it makes no sense. That explanation was really poor. Yeah.
4: yeah. And I, th- I don't know if it's happening um, in, in the States, but certainly in the UK, they're now getting sneaky. And when you've paid for your product, rather than giving you the receipt, they say, can I email you the receipt? Yeah. And you think, well, yeah, I don't want to lose a piece of paper. And then before you know it, you've given them your email address. Yeah. And then, you know, three days later, you've got 14 emails. Do you want to go and buy this? Do you want to go and buy that? So it's, it's really quite... Well, Zeb,
3: you've
2: just ruined my life because I always thought I was saving trees. Now I realize I'm giving them my personal info. Thanks a lot. Oh, You're doing both.
4: I think, I think some of the problems with Facebook is people's complacency and they don't know of alternatives. So are there any alternatives out there other than Facebook where you can interact with all your friends and your family, but keep your data safe?
0: Not not to that sort of similar extent, I think. I mean, I think some people feel that Twitter is a better alternative to Facebook, but obviously Twitter is a very different product. Mm-hmm. Um, but we sort of, at PIA at least, we we try to keep an eye on um, the various movements within the, the centralized space to sort of see what the developments are there, to sort of see what, what might be next, what might be coming. But I don't think at the current time there's anything out there that could... Um, provide any real competition for facebook
3: yeah i, I agree the, the ones that that i use that are the decentralized stuff or the federated mm-hmm. stuff like diaspora or mastodon those are yeah. all those are good but they're they're no they have no chance of usurping facebook at all
0: no and i think i find now when i try something new and I think okay i like this then then i have to do this sort of mental check where i go would my mum use this yeah. <laughs> and yeah. the answer is usually no
3: usually no right yep.
0: yeah Especially yeah, well, to
3: this- figure out, like, here, you could have your own instance. Like, uh, yeah, that, that's a problem because most yeah. people don't have their own instance.
2: No, I heard someone no, comment was- on my Facebook video. They said, you expect me to live without Farmville? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, everybody's involved in social media today, um, including Twitter. So yeah. you have a Twitter account. And I do. while we were talking uh, to prepare for the show... <laughs> Uh, our good friend here, Michael Tennell. He's look, the important one. Yeah, he's the important <laughs> one here. He got very, uh, I won't say upset is the word. He was very shocked. Upset. Uh, upset. When, when he found out when or how long ago you joined Twitter. So do you have any comforting words for Michael? Because he thought he was the longest standing Twitter account ever.
3: No, yeah. not ever. Just people I've ever met. And now it's not, I'm not. I'm second. Yeah. longest.
2: I'm,
0: I'm very sorry. Um. But it, maybe, you'll take <laughs> maybe you'll take comfort from the fact that my Twitter age might be a reflection on just how much I did not think to care about my privacy when I was younger.
2: Uh-huh, yeah. see.
0: Because as someone who's been actively involved with online communities for a very, very long time, it also mean, means that I've always known people who will come and say, hey, there's this new thing we should sign up. This is going to be so cool, Right. Nine out of ten times, those things die within a few months. People stop using them. And now, many, many years later, I realize that there's like masses of ghost ta- towns all over the internet where we've all left a tiny little part of ourselves behind yep. in some mm. random online community we were all early adopters of. Um, and yeah, I, I have days where I just think, God, I'm so glad no one knows what email address I used 15 years <laughs> know, ago. I- <laughs> <laughs> it's like, my my, my yeah... My social media pro- footprint could be a much worse much worse than this.
2: So you're yeah, not the second a- longest holder of Twitter, Michael. You're the you're the second <laughs> least concerned about your privacy person
3: on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Does that make you feel better? Oh, uh, yes. Let's go with it. Sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, right. it's not it's not like I have an actual Twitter account with my name or anything or Facebook or. Right. You have
2: That's Facebook, funny. really.
3: That's just you didn't delete it yet, Michael. <laughs> Haven't you heard the news? Well, well, I mean, Facebook Container that Firefox uses is very nice. So <laughs> that's that's my. Uh, is that your out? So, so embarrassing. Yeah, it is. So moving on.
2: <laughs> All right. So you know, getting back to to the the serious side, the, one of the biggest concerns with any VPN service is logging. Yeah. Uh, most VPNs, of course, when you go and you read it, it looks fantastic. You go to their page, you're like, we absolutely do not log. And then you see a little asterisk. Yeah. Uh, tell us about PS policy on logging and data retention.
0: So we don't log. Um, we never have done. And I mean, personally, I believe that user data is toxic waste. And the less you log, the better. Of course, we... Mm-hmm. Um, But then I could say that and then I could log all your data anyway if I was a terrible, terrible person. Um, I guess one of the nice things for us, that sounds so wrong, but one of the nice things perhaps perhaps for us is that um, a federal court, FBI, uh, as part of an FBI investigation, a court actually tried to subpoena our logs and wanted to find details about our users and found that we were unable to provide. Um, So it's nice to be able to, to refer people to that. But yeah it's um i like i like to prefer to think that other vpn providers out in space also do not log
3: that'd be nice
0: yes yes in an ideal (laughs) world no one no one would do anything deceptive um but at the same time i guess it's uh it's important that people don't rely on just a vpn to keep you secure Mm -hmm. yeah
1: Well, one of the things that people talk about, you know, besides logging, as far as what's important in a VPN is where they're located. So PIA is located in the U.S. And there's always two trains of thought. Like, you know, it's better to be based in the U.S. or it's better to be based in Europe. So what are the pros and cons of being based in the U.S.? In the
0: U.S. One of the pros is that there's no data retention requirements in the U.S., so we're not required to, to store any data. Um, and the U.S. has really strong consumer protection laws. Actually, the U.S. has strong laws in place to protect corporations against government abuses, or at least they had until this whole new Foster thing was passed. It's going to be interesting to see how much that changes things. Um, and the strong consumer protection laws in particular are quite interesting. In, in fact, there's an FTC inquiry into privacy that sort of is quite interesting to look at for those who are concerned with that. So those are sort of good things about the U.S. But then, of course, the recent passing of the FOSTA Act and also the death of net neutrality as we knew it are two of the major cons currently. They're sort of scary moves.
3: Yeah. So it's 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 basically a double-edged sword kind of thing, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, wouldn't that be true for pretty much all, no matter what. Just the location you chose but put. I think
0: like, so. I think you're gonna find pretty much anywhere um there's gonna be there's gonna be challenges with very so, few exceptions. Yeah.
3: Just picking where the least offensive now is this is this <laughs> is the only option.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think I think right this very moment, the only two sort of countries that I know that are making that are sort of leading way and making positive moods as far as privacy is concerned, is probably Iceland and Estonia. Hmm.
3: Nice. So what what are they doing that's, um, you know, kind of leading in the way?
0: So Iceland is extremely committed to sort of um, protecting people's privacy. Um, I I don't know why. They just seem to be a sort of nice, friendly people who believe that people should have a right to privacy. They believe that people should have a right to internet freedom just as they have. um, How
3: dare they? Yeah, right?
0: I know. It's (laughs) shocking.
3: I think they it's didn't. Really they pass a the right. The law these are the happened.
0: people who we on sharks. I don't. I don't know. It's, it's strange.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I think they passed a the law for having the right to internet itself. Right? Didn't they have like a right yes, to internet?
0: Yes, I believe Iceland did. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I mean, Iceland is interesting, but it's obviously a very, very small country. So the question is whether the moves they are making there, whether that's going to be enough for others to follow, which would be
4: yeah. nice. Which would be good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Obviously with the internet spreading to more and more places, people hearing more and more about stuff like what Facebook is doing. The fact that Google have got, um, you know, data farms, the size of America storing your data on there. It's still your average Joe who uses a computer who doesn't see why, why I need a VPN. Tell me, what I'm getting? Wrong. <laughs> why? Why should I really be considering a VPN as that first layer, maybe, to towards my security? Okay, let's see.
0: Would you Would you be happy to live in a house that had no walls or a house where your doors had no locks? No, no. So I think, and I, I think it's little things like that. I think just as none of us would probably like to use the bathroom without being able to close our door, mm-hmm. we probably I think it's so simple as we actually most of us would like to have that same basic privacy when we are connected to the Internet as what we have elsewhere. It's about it's about freedom rather than sort of anything sinister, I think.
1: So a lot of the comments you hear and I've talked to many people, all of us have talked to people that have said, I don't do anything illegal, so I don't have to worry about a VPN. So what do you say to people like that?
0: So, um, well, I say many different things depending on who they are. But when I when I give talks or workshops, I, um, I often quote Edward Snowden, who said, saying that you do not care about the right to privacy because you have nothing to hide is no different to saying that you do not care about freedom of speech because you have nothing to say.
4: I think yeah, that is...
1: Very nice. Yeah. Very
4: nice. I just need to interject there, because that's yeah. probably the single biggest statement... That gets me into arguments because I'm not that fussed about my internet access, my privacy. Yeah. If yeah. somebody wants to know that I'm sitting down here with my grandchild watching Peppa Pig videos, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. But just because I'm not vocal about it doesn't mean I care. I don't care. Yeah. About freedom of speech. So to me, putting those two statements together, they are just poles apart. Right, but now I'm
0: going to tell you why they're not. Because cool, you've man. just said you've cared, right? While you might not care that your grandchild and you watch Peppa Pig and people know that, you are going to care about the freedom of speech of other people and what they do. So next week, on Wednesday, actually, I will be taking the stage with Dr. Sue Black, Um and I'm in total fangirl mode because she's super super amazing. <laughs> she great book Save Bletchley Park, and she's like, awesome. We're going to... Co-present an award together at the Index on Censorship's Freedom of Expression Awards. We'll be presenting the Digital Activism Award this year. And whilst you might be sort of safe because you do you watch Peppa Pig and you know that's not very scary, the people we will be working with next week are people who are journalists and activists and dissidents whose lives are actually at serious risk when they mm-hmm. communicate online when they transfer documents when they talk to people when they travel you know th- so yeah I think it's about um, it's about community and um, about realizing that sometimes some of the things we do and the importance of the things we do are not necessarily going to benefit me but they might benefit you mm. or someone else
3: the f- the freedom. Of speech is because you're not worried about your own personal freedom of speech. You're worried about the freedom of speech for everyone. When you look at the freedom of privacy; it should be the same thing. I'm worried about the freedom of privacy for everyone, rather and than think, the privacy for just myself.
0: Yeah, and I think maybe one of the things VPNs probably get bad press in general because you get the whole "oh, it's used for criminals." A bit like how Bitcoin, for example, gets bad press because "oh, Silk Road, it's all criminals." Yeah. Um, but if you sort of look at it, I think VPN technology is really, really amazing, and I think the tool—the tool was never intended for use by criminals. Um, but like with everywhere in in the world, bad actors will make use of good technology, mm-hmm. just as they continue to do. You know, many of the things that we all do on an everyday basis. I'm pretty sure they eat their dinner, they drive cars, they enjoy music. But that doesn't mean we should ban music or you know get rid of cars or yeah. So I think it's sort of balancing that out and remembering that VPNs help people stay protected when they use untrusted networks out and about, whether you're in a coffee shop, at an airport, at a hotel. Um, it helps protect you against prying eyes. It can help you access your the geo-restricted pages from your home country when you're on the road, when you're traveling, when you're somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And of course, it can help you bypass internet censorship and, and more. So I think... Um, VPN usage is, yeah, it, it's not really about whether or not you do anything illegal that you need to hide. It, it's about sort of protecting yourself on a different level.
2: Using your same example, Zeb, if I'm sitting here with my three and four-year-old and we're watching Peppa Pig, yeah. which I didn't know that was universally- I can't believe you're life. actually
0: doing that while yeah. you're on a podcast.
2: Um, but, you know, I, don't I, feel I really would-
0: don't really welcome anymore. No, I'm
2: kidding. <laughs> <laughs> kind of going back to your, your, turn your statement. Turn
3: off my TV set right now. <laughs>
2: about uh, not having walls or windows. If one of if I'm down here with my three and four-year-old and I'm watching Peppa Pig, I really don't want my neighbor standing with, you know, opening my door and just watching me watch Peppa Pig with my three and four-year-old. That's pretty creepy. I yeah. also don't want them to know about my, what I'm doing on my bank. I also want not let them, when I'm looking over my shoulder, uh, you know, while I'm searching or sending emails to friends or family, mm-hmm. I don't want any of that stuff to have a neighbor sitting over my shoulder and in the digital world there could be thousands of people that are tapping into this and buying this data from me that I wouldn't let anybody else or want other people to see is it damaging no but it's private let's move on to a different line of questioning here because you talked briefly about this and I really want to point this out for people about why I have a VPN I've been in telecom for 18 years most of my life
0: you don't
2: look old yeah. enough for that. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, I got that baby face. Um, but I've, I've been in telecom for a long time. I've helped build out yeah. the networks. I've, you know, I've seen the different things going on behind the scenes in telecom. It's a very interesting industry. One of the things when people ask me about privacy Uh, One of the big reasons I tell them for VPNs, even if you're like Zeb and you don't buy into needing it on your computer, having one on your cell phone is so if you if you unless you don't leave your house is so dire because there are so many ways that people are tricking individuals right now into getting on the fake networks, into exposing their information. There are even fake towers out there that people set up or at least they look like tower points that they're connecting to. Um, And, of course, the big push, because telecom companies as a whole like to bill lots and lots of money for data, is Mm -hmm. people want to get off their data plan and get onto Wi-Fi. So Starbucks, Walmart, hotels you go to, airports, they're all raising their hand like, connect us, connect us. But once you make that connection, you'll notice that it tells you this connection is not private. It is public and so tell us about some ways you know those are some ways that i've seen but are there are there some other ways you guys are seeing that people are tricking people to compromise their data from a mobile standpoint
0: i mean there are sort of general things that have that are sort of there and some of them have been there for a long time i mean social engineering is nothing new but that's still just as relevant as it as it was when kevin mitnick was at his sort of prime Mm. um DNS hijacking, SSL stripping, and of course, then there's curious things like you mentioned Starbucks. There was the whole Wi-Fi hotspot hijack where people had been installing crypto mining software to to mine Monero. <laughs> so it's like, yeah.
3: I so, mean, there's there's people who just have it where you can they're, because they're open networks, you can go into and have a like a, a Wi-Fi cracker that will knock everybody off the Wi-Fi, then pretend to be the Wi-Fi you were just connected to, and then when you when reconnect, you to reconnect. You're not, you're yeah. So, yeah, I mean this alone. So let's say
2: you connected to that just to make sure everyone understands. If you had a VPN on your phone and then you connected to that fake network, guess what they're going to see?
0: They're going to see the the VPN IP. They're not going to see yours, so they're not going to be able to access your device. They're right. going to be trying to if they want to try to sort of access your device, they're going to be trying to hit our server in what, you know, whichever region you've selected. And yep. we have many servers.
2: I mean, this alone is the reason to have a VPN by itself. I mean, if you leave your home at any point and connect to networks, whether it be airports because you travel, hotel rooms, whatever, This gives you so much more confidence. I mean, nothing's 100%, but it gives you so much more confidence when you're out in these areas to be able to, I'm at a hotel, I need to check my bank account balance. If you do that on their (laughs) Wi-Fi without a VPN, you are a fool. Yep. That's That's basically what it boils down to.
3: Yeah, I, yeah. I agree. There's uh, It's very hard for me to, to. I I prefer to tell people don't connect to the free Wi Fi. Public Wi Fi. Yeah, they're free, but they're free for reasons. So yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, But besides, like going back to a previous statement you said about having like the first layer or like it wouldn't be like a singular layer for a VPN. What -hmm. are some other services or strategies you'd recommend people using that keep their data safe and stuff like
0: that? Well, I would tell you to encrypt absolutely everything, like literally all your data. Use OTR, PGP. Use, I don't know, apps like Signal when you chat to friends and family. Don't use Facebook Mm -hmm. Messenger. Use Signal. Make sure your passwords are strong. Utilize disk encryption. And make sure that you don't just blindly trust, but also verify.
3: So like, you know, look for, see if anything's been like that you're using has been audited.
0: Yeah. So, I, I mean, um, there's obviously one of the nice things, like one of the projects I'm super, super excited about seeing, doing great work recently is the reproducible builds project where they're Oh yeah. sort of, yeah. So things like that. So So, yeah, sort of. There's some slightly slight safety in people make, putting in the effort to at least make it possible for you to see when there's a problem. Yeah. Um I Debian mean sometimes it might to, be too late. But
3: Yeah. Didn't Debian make their, their entire repo repo reproducible or is it just like
0: So that Rags, so I think they are at ninety seven percent. So I think they're sort of yeah. but of course the repository keeps growing. So it's sort of <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's um it's super exciting. They're doing some really exciting
4: work. So when the likes of me goes out and says, okay, do you know what? I'm going to buy into this and I need to find a VPN provider. Um, what are some of the key questions I should be asking? But more importantly, I think, is what are some of the red flags that I should be looking at to say, well, no, this is not, this is too good to be true almost.
0: So um, questions you could ask are obviously, do they log? Um, carry out some research into the company itself. You know, read the reviews. Um, if the product is a free product product, then carry out some additional due diligence because often the trade-off of a free free of charge product is that you are the product. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and of course, some of the red flags that you should look for is things like the lack of, lack of reviews, poor reputation, no native clients. But of course, there's also alternatives to VPNs like Tor, which is an open source project. It might have a slightly higher threshold, so for people who are not particularly te- technical, that can be a bit yeah. more challenging to.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, that's kind of common with a lot of the different methods. To, you know, like even PGP and stuff like that, it's typically.
0: Yeah, yeah, it can be a bit about the learning curve can be quite steep at times with, with a lot.
2: I mean, Opera did this interesting thing not too long ago where they were kind of giving, I don't know if they're still doing it. I've heard it's there and some people said it's turned off, but it was basically like a free VPN service is how they were announcing it. But it wasn't really a VPN. It was a proxy. And there's an important differentiation there between those two because one is is basically encrypting all the traffic, internet traffic leaves your machine, and one is just encrypting your browser traffic. That would be another yes. thing. Yes.
0: Right. And and that's obviously going to be scary because people are going to have a false sense of security and think that all, all of their data, all of their transmissions are going to be secure if they believe they're running a VPN.
2: Yep. So how does PIA ensure its servers and connections are safe from things like man-in-the-middle attacks?
0: Well, no one, no one has any access to our servers, so people aren't really in a position to do anything shady. Um, of course, like everyone else, we're obviously at risk that people could try to, could try to break into our, our servers so far. So good. We have a decent, we have a decent DevOps team. We have people monitoring things 24 seven. We're quite hot on security. Obviously we have to be within the space where we're in. Sure. Um, so yeah. General OPSEC, I guess, as, as best as we can.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no perfect mm-hmm. protection out there and I think that's important that people realize that there is no such thing as 100%. The important thing is that the companies are doing everything they can to put the due diligence in to try to stop this stuff as much as possible. And then if something did happen, that it's found and resolved quickly. Yes.
0: And I think I I have a great deal of respect for companies that take ownership of incidents that happen and and work quickly Mm -hmm. to sort of not only ensure that they get a good overview and fix the problem, but also that they communicate to their users about, exactly what happened and why and why it's not going to happen again.
3: I agree. Transparency is, is one of the most important things for any yes. kind of company, especially a security-based company. Yes. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, I think it goes back to uh, reputation as well. You know, you had mentioned before about uh, PIA and lawsuits and that them not giving the information that they needed or not being able to yeah. give the information. And I yeah. think that's one thing that, Zeb, when you had said about what do you look for That's one thing that I look for is the actual reviews from regular people and their track record, what they've done in the past when things have happened, uh, whether it be lawsuits or whether it be uh, breaches, what have they done in the past? And I think uh, Pia really uh, does a great job in that track record part.
3: Thank
0: you. The kind of
3: interesting thing about it, like previously we talked about the headquarters thing in the US, that's actually... In a way, kind of good because it made it made the FBI think that they could contact and get the information. But when there is no information, it lets the users know that that that's that has been tested at a at a governmental level. So that's, yeah, yeah,
4: yeah, yeah, that sounds pretty awesome. So yeah, when we install the the, the PIA's <laughs> VPN, it, it's through a it's through a software script.
0: Yes. So cur- currently it is, although we're obviously now in the process of releasing the source code for all our stuff and releasing our repositories. So hopefully there will eventually be options like, you know, there will be Debian packages. You might be able to install it with Snap and Ubuntu.
4: Nice. Um, so is, it, like is there that. any reason why you
0: didn't choose a PPA? I don't actually know why, why that decision was made and, and why that happened. Although I, uh, I know that at the moment, I believe our team is currently working on, on getting a, a personal package archive for Ubuntu. So, so, yeah, it's it's something we're working on, but a bit sort of late in the game.
2: Yeah, let's be clear: we are so happy we have a script to install. PIA. <laughs> we're, we're happy, we're so happy because some people don't support Linux at all, so we're very yeah, happy yeah. about it. But we're like, well, is there some other ways we could get get to Pia? But it's certainly workable and usable with the script. But uh, I think. You know, there's so many distros and things growing and changing in in mm. Linux, and it's great to hear you guys are making changes to kind of adapt it to that too.
0: Yeah,
3: you kind of think about it. It's kind of funny that if you and if you if you support Linux, Linux are, Linux users are so happy that you're supporting Linux that we want to know exactly like how how far will you go and how can we help to make you get it there? <laughs> yes, and like so. Pia doing the open source thing is like uh, maybe even it'll just be, help people. You know, make help the snap being built, the uh, Flatpaks, the appium, just stuff like that. That'd be fantastic.
0: Yeah, I th- I think um I think we're gonna, I think we're really lucky because we've sort of been so many of the people who work for PIA now, and also the company itself, having supported a lot of open source effort. I I, I think we're sort of lucky that we're in a position where we have a great network of people involved with things like flat hub and flatpack, and you know, there's we know people at Ubuntu and Canonical. Nicole, who can help us sort of get the whole snap thing going and things like that so I think we'll we'll be able to benefit massively from the support from from our sort of community there. Um, and and as far as sort of releasing the source code goes uh, one of the things that we desperately hope is that someone is going to come and they're going to contribute back something that is going to be even better than what we have and be a much better product for for those people who really really need to look after those privacy their privacy so the people who are in you know china and iran and russia and turkey and and places like that where there's some serious censorship going on
1: well you said about something better but i think that's one thing that is overlooked in looking for vpns is the actual client mm-hmm. and you can install you know through the Open VPN and the network manager you can install Pia, but the client yeah. itself is absolutely awesome. So this has like all kinds of different features that you can change from uh, remote ports to changing it from UDP to TCP. Uh, The VPN kill switch is one fabulous thing because it can be done through the network manager, but if you're not technical savvy, you're not going to be able to do a a full-blown internet kill switch. So tell us about the great features of the client.
0: Well, I, I guess you've probably sort of mentioned some of the great features of the clients, but um, for me, probably the nicest thing about P. so let me tell you about my friend, Hannah. Hannah is brilliant, but Hannah is one of these people who will give away anything. So <laughs> she, um, she will go to conferences sometimes and she will listen to people and she will go and sign up. And she went to some fintech events and and literally just went and signed up for every sort of financial new thing that you know <laughs> logs into your bank account and tracks your spending and saves <laughs> for you. And you know, and I'm just sort of staring at her like, what are you doing? Have I thought you nothing about your privacy? And she goes, oh yes. Yeah, so, so so what does this VPN thing do? She says because you you gave me like this account, but I haven't actually installed it yet, and it had been like six months. <laughs> <laughs> but she she installed it and i've got it so hannah is technologically challenged um but she installed the app on her computer and on her phone and she uses it all the time now and i think for me the sort of biggest thing about the client is probably just how easy it is even for a technophobe like hannah to install it and use it
3: mm-hmm. yeah i can use a network manager version and when i found out i didn't have to i, I was i was i was thrilled yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but
1: that is something that's lacking in any VPN providers providers out there is the fact that it's they don't have a nice GUI application mm. for people to use. It's either a terminal or it's through the network manager. Pia is one of the only, it has the best Linux GUI for a VPN,
3: hands down. Oh, thank you. I, I agree the kill switch is is uh is probably the best option where you that's the thing where we you lose uh, lose access to the VPN and just takes off the internet right yep
0: yes, which is super handy because the last thing you want is for it to just to revert back to your underlying IP.
4: right exactly yeah so tell me crystal having um Sort of like become the experts in in VPNs, um, and having all of your knowledge about all of the things that you shouldn't be doing with these with these other uh, other services. Are PIA looking at providing other services like secured mail or messaging or things like that? Please say yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I,
0: so we have a we have a really 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 good research and development lab. And we continually work on new security service additions. So there, there's always something new popping up when we're looking at something and sometimes that changes, sometimes sometime it evolves. But um, I can definitely say that we're very much committed to, this, to the space we operate in. And we believe that we have a lot more to give. So I would not be surprised if there's more than just VPNs coming that out. That was already.
2: such a great way
3: to say that. Now give us the release date. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: Well, okay. So there is a lot of competition in the VPN market. So how does PIA, or PIA, how does PIA differentiate itself from the competition? Because there's a ton out there.
0: Yes, there is a lot. Um, I don't know. I I mean, there are lots lots of companies and lots of them do obviously spend a lot of time on marketing and advertisements. I, I see VPN ads wherever I go. In fact I even had I even get like emails occasionally asking me if I want to be an affiliate for this competing VPN provider, which is mildly confusing. And then and then I want to say yes because I'm thinking, hey wait, will you give me all your money? <laughs> I, I think I think our sort of major advantages are probably the size of our networks. We got quite a lot of servers in many regions across many different countries. So I think, as far as sort of network size go, we're we're probably one of, one of the largest. I think another advantage we have might be the fact that we have a we have a real presence. We we're not afraid to sort of engage with the community, whether that's mm-hmm. the FOSS community, the uh, internet freedom community, whether that's people fighting censorship, um, or or whether that's you know going along and hanging out with people at DefCon, which can be quite intimidating. Um, <laughs> yeah. But there was an amazing number of people coming to flash their PIA client at me when I le- went last year. So I'm, nice. I'm excited to nice. go back this year. <laughs> yes, I, I guess it's sort of making sure that we actually, that we try to be as approachable as we can to, to both everyday people, journalists, activists, dissidents, everyone, and listen and, and care and try to also help educate and empower people. And I think it's important to be, to sort of have this commitment to give back to to contribute back wherever we can, both in terms of sort of giving 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 financial support to organisations that do crucial work, but also now our recent move to start open sourcing our software because that is massively important. I think that code transparency is absolutely key for a company that operates in this sphere, and it's probably a decision we should have made a lot, you know, a long time ago. Right. Um, and I think I don't know if this is true, but I also believe that we're the first consumer VPN service to to open source our our software
3: nice. so yeah, yeah well, I, I can't think of anything else that would well going, no. going back to
1: the the client because i just remembered the newest release of i think it's uh, 0.78 for linux has a new feature in it that you can favorite servers and that is yes. absolutely awesome <laughs> oh my yes gosh.
0: yes you have a bit more freedom when it comes to sort of yeah your regional settings and what you choose to
2: choose to I'm- use I love hearing that people greet you with the app. I don't know if you can yeah. get them <laughs> on my webcam. <laughs> really like I need to participate in this. So there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah but, but we're not
1: saying this because you're on the show. We're saying these things because we've been Pia user. I've been Pia user for years. So that's it's, fantastic. It, we're saying it because it's it's
3: how we feel about it. So
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm really I'm glad, glad to hear that. My friend might
3: actually introduce me to Pia like uh, many years ago and i don't remember what it was and they were they were telling they were talking about, talking about a, a paid for vp and i was like that sounds great and it's super expensive i assume and he tells mm-hmm. me like tells me the price i'm like what okay i'm signing I'll up, sign up. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: hmm. um, it's so- funny you should say that because i had i had a friend email me the other day i um i probably hadn't seen him since 1999 so he's a fellow Norwegian, and we used to hang out when we still both lived in Norway. Ha- haven't spoken to him since. Then I get an email the other day, and it turns out that these days he travels the world mainly by boat. So a lot, of, a lot of the time, he's offline. He has no sort of connectivity. So when he, when he's somewhere where he has um, an internet connection, he will obviously connect. And he does this really weird thing. He prints out Reddit. Who prints Reddit? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the weirdest thing. How do thing you I ever upload
1: has, but... that? <laughs>
0: No, no,
1: that's. He, 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 need, he, he, he needs a flash drive. Is what he needs. <laughs> exactly right,
0: <laughs> and um, and and he sends me this email out of the blue saying. So I was I was reading this printout of Reddit, and I'm like, wait, what? That makes no sense. And then and then it's like, and then I came across this article talking about private instance access and and how you're open sourcing. And I recognized your name, and it reminded me that I carry an IOU in my in my pocket, and I have done for the last 20 years. Where apparently 20 years ago I I gave him an IOU saying that if you ever need a friend, call me. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, he he sort of reached out, and he just wanted to know whether I thought he should change his VPN provider.
3: Wow. Yeah. Nice,
0: did he? So, I, so, so I told him to, to give it a try and then decide after, but that <laughs> no. he could keep the IOU. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, um, oh, look at it. that.
2: You let <laughs> him keep it. I don't know. Somebody held on to one of my IOUs for 20 years, and that's all they asked for. They'd be like, no, give it back.
0: Yeah, it <laughs> now. It's
4: not really, yeah. So, that again. was
0: sweet. It also reminded me of how weird we were, we both were when we were much younger.
4: <laughs> so, just, just to, to, to go back on a, a, a subject you touched on before, one of the things that's impressed me about PIA is I've learned that you were able to say to the FBI, no, no, sorry, we haven't got it, guys. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned that in America, they've got very strong laws where they can't force you to retain the data. Yes. So how does that work when you put a server in Aja or you put a server in Bristol or you put a server in France? Yeah.
0: So um, if, if you've been long-term PIA users or you, or you sort of followed us in the news, you might have noticed that when a country introduces a new law or changes things in a way where they basically turn around and they say right we want to log your server or we want access we want to audit this we want to you know we want to read everything we want to see all your data our response is not to roll over and say yes here you go here's the key come in it, it's the close down in those countries it's to wow. fall out
1: actually that happened in canada a little while ago did it not
0: I don't know if we've recently done that in Canada, but we did pull pull out, obviously, of Russia. We've pulled out of Turkey. We pulled out temporarily, I think, from parts of Germany. But, yeah.
4: Wow. Been- are, you, are you concerned that with what you're seeing with all these governments, you're, you'll only end up with America to host your servers?
0: That is, that is quite a scary thought. Um, I, I think it's probably a scary thought that a lot of the Western world in general is – Taking a massive step backwards as far as sort of online online freedoms go, and and we're sort of it's almost as if a bunch of politicians woke up and thought, who's my idol today? And they went, ah, China, yeah. <laughs> because it's yeah, which which is really really scary. China won't give me a visa, so I'm, I'm not happy with them anyway. They're like, nope, you can't come in my country. <laughs> um, Apparently, it's something. I, I presume it's something to do with the VPNs. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but right. yeah. Probably. They, d- they didn't elaborate, but yeah, they were very difficult when I wanted to go and see their panda bears and stuff and eat all the yummy food. Right. <laughs> so I'm not happy with them now. But yeah, no, I wasn't particularly happy with them before because obviously they commit yeah. some serious right. crimes against. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Naturally. Yeah. So so it's it's a concern, but there's it's only it's a concern regardless because you're at you. you you don't have to deal with it anyway.
0: So one of the things I probably didn't really touch on um, in in this chat because it wasn't super relevant um, is internet governance. I'm sort of part of of organizations such as the Internet Society, who work within the in the governance space on on policy and things like that. I go to the Internet Governance Forum. I participate with sort of the various um, civil society groups that that are involved there. And we um, one of the sort of interesting things. For me, is that the internet I want is the internet is the internet I grew up with. The internet mm. of like you know twenty odd years ago was not like this. It it was free. It was open. We could share. It was sort of super collaborative and and super super good. Um, and and that's sort of the first experience I had and the first experience of internet that I would like everyone to have. Mm. But I can have conversations with people from you know emerging markets where the internet is concerned, such as Zimbabwe, where they where they will argue that they need they need two internets because obviously culturally women and men are treated quite differently. so they want an open internet for their men and they want a censored internet for their women and children wow. Wow. and that's really scary and it's really unfair. and it makes me angry on so many levels, both on sort of a a privacy activist level and a, and a, and a feminist level and, and sort of all these levels, I get really angry. So I want to fight those people. I I don't honestly, there's no sort of cage <laughs> fights after hours, but um, if there was.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You'd um, be in for it. <laughs>
0: yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, so it's sort of, it's difficult because it's sort of challenges in, in like new places like that. And then there's challenges in spaces like the UK, obviously there's loads of changes there in the U S the Western world, world in general, um, there's more and more sort of erosion of our digital liberties and it's, it's quite scary, but it's also perhaps sort of, I'm also cautious of the fact that all these things are reactions to what happens because the internet is probably quite scary if the government has no control of it. Right. And um, that's not them. Yeah. And, you know, I would think that the government not government not having control of it would be a good thing but at the same time, I can sort of understand the fear that you're sort of – that people are going to use it for nef- nefarious purposes. Yeah, so It's sort of
1: it's – a, It's a bad situation to be in because there's yeah. no good way to do it because anytime the government gets involved in anything, it's messed up.
0: It's Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's sort of scary and it's sort of um, – a lot of people speak up, but it's evidently not enough. Or maybe it's not the right people or maybe we're not saying the right things. I don't know. They're sort of – there's a still there's still a lot of work to do, I think, both in sort of both here in the Western world and and further further afield.
2: It keeps going the way it's going. We're all going to log on to the internet, and all we see is a Facebook page, and no way to leave it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Isn't that terrifying?
3: It is <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> So let's get away from the terrifying ideas, of mm-hmm. something like that. Um, let's get back to the talk about we talk about the open source aspects of of PIA. And like, this is obviously a huge milestone and I, everyone who's ever heard of Pia is probably very excited about this. Uh, could you tell us like, how did that decision come about? And, uh, you know, did it take a lot of like discussion to get it to happen or was it just like something that they wanted to do all along that just had to get to it?
0: I, th- I think it's probably a bit of both. I mean, I think, um, Andrew obviously is, is a free software person and has been for years and years and years since for, you know, since he was a teenager, um, so it's all sort of probably always been the ambition to be able to release the source code um because as we know, code transparency is key um mm-hmm. but we've never really had the, the perhaps the strength to manage to manage and lead such a shift after being closed source for quite some time. but as the team grew and we got more and more of a i don't know solid internal foundation I guess when it came to people with experience from open source communities and and, and you know, just the whole sort of process because the way of develop, you know, developing open source software is often quite different to developing internal software, where maybe yeah. you're not very good with your commit history and your messages, and maybe not the best at commenting and document. You know, all, all those things. So it's sort of a big internal yeah. internal shift in that way. But we sort of realized that the time the time was probably ripe. Right. We had we had enough people to sort of manage that process. We initiated it. It was really, really difficult not to tell everyone I knew that we were about to do this. That was the hardest thing for me because I was so excited. Um,
3: yeah.
0: But yeah, no, I'm I'm super proud that we did it, and I'm I'm super glad that we're committed to sort of continuing down that right?
3: Fantastic. I mean, I did yeah. I, the, the whole documentation aspect. I have a lot of projects that I've built for myself that yeah. I think. Are fantastic but i don't release them solely for the fact that i'd have to maintain the documentation and the support and all this other stuff so i can understand that being a a, a hurdle to get get it yeah um but do you have like a timeline maybe for the the desktop clients that get open source
0: yes um I, i do um
3: are you She's allowed not, to yes,
0: say? I, I, <laughs> no, actually, I, I have been saying probably three or four times that I believe that transparency is important in this in this chat. So yes, um, I think that the, no, I know that the desktop clients will be released towards the very end of this initial release cycle. Um, this is partly my fault because I'm, I'm Cautious at times, not very often, but but sometimes. <laughs> um the desktop repos are obviously the largest in terms of sort of amount of code and
3: right and the been, most that are made the most attention. Exactly. And again. there's been
0: too many, you know, a, a lot of people coming and going and working on this and then being moved to a different thing. You know, it's it's probably the one with the most contributors. And it's also the ones for which we have um the most dependencies that we need to sort of take into account. So it's sort of push to the the very end to allow us to have the time to A, implement a few minor changes um, and to also ensure that our engineering teams and legal teams that I can work closely with both of them to ensure that all our checks and balances are sound, that we're good to move ahead with the licenses we want to use for the release and also that we make sure that we identify whether there's a need for us to carry out an audit pre-release, whether we need to get an external auditor in to sort of look over the code before we before we go live. I mean, I'm hoping we don't. I'm hoping everything is good, but I want to sort of not do anything that could put anyone at any risk should there be a little bug that we have missed.
3: Yeah, and especially with like something like a VPN software, you you, cannot, you have to be as, as, as sure as possible. Yeah, yep.
0: yeah. But yeah, sort of timeline-wise, early autumn.
2: Okay. Nice. Yeah. So congratulations. You have survived <laughs> our gauntlet of questions. <laughs> Um, Thank you've you. been incredibly awesome. I have one more question for you officially is how can people help support PIA and the work you guys are doing? How can people, well,
0: I think obviously user product is brilliant. We're, we're very happy when you do that because that allows PIA to pay my salary, but that was, um, <laughs> <selfish> of me. <laughs> <laughs> but, um on, on a sort of, no, on a sort of wider, wider sort of more, more important scale, um, Speak up you, use your voice people need to be vocal we need to speak up against censorship we need to speak up against the erosion of digital liberties we need to we need to f- continue fighting for internet freedom we need to Educate those around us and and talk about privacy with everyone. With you know, with your mum, with the woman behind the shop counter when you go to your corner store. Okay, maybe not that. That might be awkward, but you know, keep, keep talking they, to people. But if they
3: ask you for your email, then, then maybe. Yes.
0: Yes, <laughs> yes, that's a very good opportunity. But yeah, so so keep talking about it and and of course keep uh, keep supporting whether that's joining or whether that's donating or whether that's just sharing a link. Um, Whenever these amazing organizations that work to sort of protect our internet freedoms do something cool, then then help them. Or when they need help, you know, get involved, go to meetings, go to a meetup or go on a march, do, do all those things. And of course, if you're a coder, which I presume that many of your listeners might be, then um, dive into our repositories, submit pull requests, make feature requests, contribute some code, help us improve and help us make it better.
3: Perfect. Yeah. The open sourcing of it is, is going to make that even much easier. So. I'm, I'm
2: sorry, guys. I got a question. We didn't put this on the document. I don't know why. Are you a gamer? And if so, will you play some Rocket League with us?
0: <laughs> I, I'm afraid I'm not. So I actually, oh. gaming in me, it it never really happened. Well, I, I say that. I used to play NetHack, but that's like 25 years ago. Um, <laughs> I went through a brief period of playing this uh, MMORPG called City of Heroes. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that was my sort of, I I was totally hooked on that. And I don't know why, because everyone was like, oh, play World of Warcraft instead. And I'm like, I don't like it. Yeah. It doesn't I don't know, have superheroes. This obviously. is going to sound like terribly sort of. Maybe maybe it's because I was a bit of a girl and I like the fact that in City of Heroes, I could go to a shop and buy clothes and shoes. I don't know. Yeah.
2: But but yeah, <laughs> I can't. Sort of... Everybody lies in an <laughs> MMO if they don't act like that's what they're doing. The whole time you spend 24 hours looking for a new tunic to put
3: on your character, right? I mean, <laughs> exactly. It, yeah. It's Barbie dress up with swords. That's why I don't exactly. have play MMOs. <laughs> But yeah, we, we don't I'm... we don't play memos for that one reason. So instead in rocky League yeah. we have special paint, uh, Michael, paint sh- sh- on it, and hats and <laughs> Stop, <Michael>.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Quit while you're ahead,
3: Michael. Yeah. My car wears a fedora. I like the wheels oh. I pick on my car, okay?
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Very good. Yeah.
3: So uh, well, you know, v- v- Pia has a impressive track record uh, for sponsoring and supporting open source communities, like you know, like the GNOME conferences and the, like all the considerable donations for the like, activism and you know just like digital freedom based stuff, and it, just overall, a VPN uh, the, the the VPNs are important, but Pia is is my favorite absolutely. Oh, thank so you. I- I just wanted to like personally thank you and thank the, the team, PIA, to, for doing what they're doing. It's it's fantastic. Thank you. Yep. It's the only
1: VPN that I recommend personally on the podcast on my channel. I know these guys are the same way. Um, yeah. So we're proud to have you on the show, Crystal. And I'm
0: really glad that you asked me to come on. I've, yeah. had, I've had fun.
1: And the work that you do in the open source community, you in particular... And the people in PIA, I just want to say a big thank you to everybody.
0: It's a, it's absolutely our pleasure. I think we're incredibly privileged and proud to be able to give back to a community that has probably, you know, w- without the open source communities, most of us would probably, well, no, probably all of us, none of, none of us at PIA would probably be where we are now. We wouldn't mm. have gained the experience and made the connections and and you know learned the things that have sort of. Brought us to where we are now. We wouldn't, yeah. So it's open source is massively important.
3: I agree. That's the same for me. Like yeah. I, would, I wouldn't be on a podcast with with these guys without that kind of be getting into the 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 ecosystem. I guess. Yeah. It's it's, so. it's, it's, it's it, overall, uh, open source is awesome, and and Pia is awesome. Yep. Oh, so.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you for making the time to come on the show. We appreciate it.
4: No
0: problem. All right,
1: Um, that's all we got. So a big thank you to each and every one of you for listening, watching, supporting the podcast in any way you can. And we recommend you going to privateinternetaccess.com and supporting PIA as well. Everybody have a great week. And remember, the journey itself is just as important as the destination.
2: Thanks, everyone.
0: Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast.
1: is everybody ready let's do Certainly this
4: yeah right. wow. but it's nice to have a little chin wag after. afterwards okay yeah. yeah did yes. you just say chin wag he did wag. he said chin wag <laughs> sorry i'm from england yeah <laughs> i have to put up with all these american euphemisms so i try to get <laughs> <put> your <up the laughs> european expression in there hey Rocco. Uh, uh, next time we have a
2: conversation, I'm not going to join unless you say we're going to chinwag.
4: We're going to have a chinwag. you like, hey Ryan, we need a chinwag. Is uh, as well, Crystal. There, this is every single week we go through this. Yeah, it's single. not as it is. This is the first time we're doing it. It just never becomes boring because Rocco's trying to hear and get it great, and we are all yeah. just making we're like kids
2: My... we're just like kids bunch of kids you tell me. them to be quiet and that's the last thing they want to do once you've told them that <laughs> yeah we did te- that's what we tease Rocco for all the time He, if he finds a pixel off <laughs> the whole show's ruined
0: yeah I have to start again
3: sorry I'm trying <laughs> No, Ryan, they're telling your mom on you because you, you had the baby face. From him, right? Yeah, I know.
2: <laughs> oh, believe me, I get carded everywhere I go. I'm like, I'm never going to grow up. Yeah. Real boy.
0: <laughs> you too, mister. Like <laughs> People who have marketing skills.
3: I actually am a marketer.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Michael's natural habitat is him by himself talking to himself. That's
3: yeah. name, Evan. Oh, no 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 he I'm, likes talking talking about <laughs> just, I'm talking to everyone who could possibly hear me it's just sometimes there's no one there but they're, they're, occasionally <laughs> and I've been doing it for a decade over a decade and when You're I got
2: well to, enough
0: no, no, no. <laughs> market, I was just about to
3: say are you any
1: good we might attract market good marketers market. Michael <laughs> have you good heard one. of Google sir Crystal let me ask you this question not to interrupt, Michael, but... Wow. Not to um, interrupt while interrupting. Not to interrupt while... Uh, while but I'm going to interrupt. Um, you were on a podcast before and you're in the community. So if you were on a podcast with somebody and they decided to go on another podcast <laughs> and then out on that podcast, they yeah. didn't even mention that they were a part of this podcast, mm-hmm. what would you do? i mean michael wouldn't know anything about going on another podcast and never even mentioning destination lending.
0: well i mean i think in this specific situation i i would i would seriously question and question his marketing credentials
3: (laughs) (laughs) so i knew you were gonna be my favorite person (laughs) to be fair to myself (laughs) you need to come back more often let me tell you but anyway well, the reason i mentioned the marketing and that oh yeah, my
1: gosh uh, going you back to stop. the marketing Well, <laughs> someone on, please just let i him. had a
3: reason over <laughs> oh my, my face like go ahead 40. Um,
0: sorry i like you really I'd, I'd love to come back um yeah in fact if michael is too busy going on like other podcasts you know just just hey, <laughs> oh, wow
3: <laughs> depends oh, on after burn oh my <laughs> god it
1: depends on how many times that happens there might be an opening just saying. Yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can Speaking of out. how good of a marketer I am. Yeah.
4: <laughs> I have a feeling Destination Index is going to end up with five hosts. <laughs> <laughs>